Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. I need 90 minutes, I normally ask you for that 90, so that you'll be able to understand current events around this world in light of the prophetic scenario that's found in God's Word. I have six different broadcast partners standing by in different parts of the world. We're going to go to them, get their reports, looking at current events in their locations in this world, and see how they fit into that passage of prophecy that has been written by the ancient Jewish prophets, helping us to look to the day in which we are living. We're going to be talking about Brexit. Boy, a disaster this week there in Great Britain. We'll talk about that with two of our broadcast partners, John Rood. He'll take it from the European Union perspective. And then our longtime broadcast partner, Rob Congdon, is going to join us once again. He has a take for the kingdom, for the United Kingdom. Will it break apart? Will they continue with Brexit? Will they have no deal? You want to stay tuned to hear what Dr. Rob Congdon has to say. A number of other reports will go to Israel, talk with Itamar Marcus, heading up Palestinian Media Watch, and see what the, the Muslims are saying about the Jewish people as it relates to the Temple Mount. Very key as we understand our world in these current events or geopolitical activities unfolding for us to understand where we are in God's time. 90 minutes. Please give it to me. Let's get it right underway. Ken Timmerman is the man who covers geopolitical events with us. And Ken, let me start because we've got a lot to talk about. Looks like Israel may have to go to an all-out war with Iran and Syria and then add in Hezbollah there if they're going to be able to stop Iran. Now, this is getting pretty serious there in the Middle East, isn't it? Well, this is a scenario that we've been looking at for some time, Jimmy, where the Iranians are pushing their pawns in Lebanon, in Syria, and in the Gaza Strip. Most recently, this past week, Prime Minister Netanyahu warned Iran to evacuate from Syria, its forces from Syria, or face uh, extended Israeli retaliation, extended Israeli strikes. The Iranians scoffed at that, said that they were in Syria to stay. Uh, But this is clearly the battle line that is being drawn right now. There have been direct confrontations between Israel and Iran over the past two years in Syria, but so far the Iranians have not struck back at Israel. And that's what people are now starting to uh, uh, wonder about, whether the Iranians will use those forces they have based in Lebanon and the Gaza Strip, as well as Syria, to strike back at Israel for Israel's repeated airstrikes on Iranian assets in Syria. Why is Iran so determined, Ken, uh, to stay there in Syria? They say absolutely right across the table that indeed they're going to keep their military forces in Syria despite what Israel has to say. It doesn't seem to me that they are very much concerned about the Israeli Defense Force at all. Well, they pretend not to be concerned about it, but look, this is a strategic goal of the Iranian regime. Uh, Remember, it is not an Iranian republic. It is the Islamic Republic in Iran. I call it the Islamic State of Iran, but it is an Islamic Republic, meaning their goal is to expand the domain, the realm of Islam. So for them to be stationed outside of Iran is a strategic goal. They don't see themselves, especially the Revolutionary Guards, do not see themselves as defending Iran's border. They are defending Islam. So 
they see this as a uh, priority of their regime to maintain that presence in Syria. Why? Because it gets them closer to Israel. And eradicating Israel is a goal of this regime in Tehran. They've been waiting for it for 40 years, Jimmy. They've been preparing for it for 40 years, and they're just getting uh, increasing military capabilities to be able to do this. And it's so interesting to me, as I talk with Ken Timmerman, I recognize the prophetic scenario that's found in God's Word. That's exactly what Iran is saying in the Scriptures, if you look at where they are coming from today in this political perspective that we're looking at right now. By the way, this note from Russia, they say their air defense is not going to be able to stop the Israeli airstrikes on Iran, so I don't know if they'll even, Iranians will take that into consideration or not, but that's an interesting note from the Russians, is it not? Well, it is, isn't it? And, you know, the Russians for years have boasted about the S-300 and S-400 systems. They say they're the most advanced in the world, can defeat stealth aircraft. And yet the Israelis have been flying unstealthy F-16s against them for the past year and a half. And during that entire time, more than 200 sorties, according to Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, revealed that figure, by the way, this past week, uh, 200 sorties, one aircraft shot down. So either, uh, look, there are only three possibilities. Either the Russian air defense systems aren't what the Russians are saying they are, they aren't what they're cracked up to be. Two, uh, the Syrians are incredibly incompetent. Or three, the Israelis are extraordinarily good. <laughs> it's probably a mix of all three of those. But the end result is uh, the Israeli Air Force has not been deterred by those air defense systems in Syria, and I don't believe they will be deterred in the future. Excuse me for interrupting. I was thinking that it's all of the above, incompetence, and really not what they tell everybody they have in the superiority of the Israeli Defense Force. Well, we've got to bring into the equation Tayyip Erdogan, who is the president of Turkey, but he's got some problems with his plan for Syria, according to the rest of the world and according to the United States, I do believe. Well, you know, Erdogan sketched out his plan for Syria in a op-ed that appeared in the New York Times just this past week. And I must say, I greet this, and I think a lot of people who look at his claims that, for example, Turkey has no issues, no bones of contention with Syrian Kurds, uh, we look at this a little bit skeptically. Turkey has repeatedly sought to go after Kurds in its own territory, let alone in other places around the world. But anyhow, Erdogan sees himself as the savior of Syria. In this op-ed where he sketches out a strategy, he says that Turkey will go in after U.S. forces withdraw and essentially remake the map of northern Syria. They will work with local groups, set up local councils, including with local Kurds representing Kurdish areas. Look, Erdogan is simply trying to uh, puff himself up here a little bit. He's trying to say that the United States is right to withdraw from Syria, but we are going to fill that vacuum. I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think that's why the National Security Advisor, John Bolton, has been traveling around the Middle East the past week. The United States is not going to leave a security vacuum in Syria, and we are not going to allow the Turks to fill it. Well, we certainly know that Turkey's going to be a major player in the end times. We'll have more talk about that when I take a look at the book. Uh, but we're going to watch the United States and how they deal 
with this man who has great ambitions there in Turkey. Speaking of ambitions, let me talk a bit about North Korea's Kim Jong-un. Now, he has sent an envoy into Washington, D.C., supposedly preparations for the next meeting that President Trump and Kim Jong-un will hold. We're not sure where that's going to be. Talk to me about that. What do you see this scenario laid out as unfolding and what's going to happen? There's a great deal of mystery, Jimmy, about what's actually going on. We see the arrival in Washington on Friday of General Kim Young-Choi, who uh, is the foreign minister, the right-hand man of Kim Jong-il, and a former spymaster of North Korea. He has been the lead negotiator with the United States over this effort where the North Koreans are claiming they will dial down their nuclear capabilities. The U.S. wants them to disarm completely. We don't know where this is going. Clearly, Kim wants another summit with President Trump. President Trump is not against that. Uh, At least he stated that publicly. But he needs to see some progress from the North Koreans. So far, we haven't seen a great deal of material progress on the ground. So it'll be interesting to see how this meeting with Mike Pompeo uh, goes over the weekend and whether the North Korean envoy is received by the president and if he's bearing any offer in his suitcase. Last time, that seemed to be the case, and that set up that meeting between Trump and Kim, did it not? Well, there you go. And there is talk of a follow-on summit. But again, there's going to have to be some deliverable this time, because I don't think the president can go meet with Kim a second time if there's not some kind of progress on the ground. Let me go back into the Middle East just a moment, Ken, if you will. Russia, we were talking about them a moment ago. Russia seems to be warming up to the Houthis there in Yemen. And Yemen is a a, a battleground, a disaster as it relates to humanitarian activity. What do we know about Russia and the Houthis, and how is that thing really coming out there? Is it going to explode, or are they going to be able to uh, settle it some way or another? Well, first of all, Jimmy, we should never be surprised uh, when the Russians get involved with human rights violators or murderous regimes. They've done that for the entire 70 years of the Soviet Union, and they haven't stopped it since. (laughs) They have no respect for international norms of human rights, never have, and I doubt that Putin ever will. The Houthis, let's remember, are allies of who? Of the Islamic State of Iran. Okay, they're working with the Iranians. So it's really not a surprise to see the Russians edge their way into Yemen on the Iranian-slash-Houthi side. Who are they facing on the other side of that battle? Well, the Saudis and, to extension, the United States. So Yemen is yet another proxy war between the U.S. and Russia, between the pro-Western powers, between the Saudis and the Iranians in the Middle East. Well, that battle with Russia trying to play a key role in the world system today is going to continue on until the last chapter where we read there in Ezekiel 38, Russia leads a coalition of nations that will come against the Jewish state of Israel. And every bit of the conversation I had with Ken Timmerman today helps us to understand better how this whole scenario is coming together. Ken, you're invaluable when it comes to understanding geopolitical activities. Thank you so very much, my good friend, and we'll look forward to another conversation real soon. Amen to that, Jimmy. It's always a pleasure to be with you. God bless. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, a Middle East news update. David Dolan standing by. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Have you ever wanted to visit Israel and trace the footsteps of Jesus? Hi, I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr., and along with VCY America, I'm excited to announce our upcoming trip March 13th through the 22nd, 2019. Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. We're going to look at Israel past, present, and future. The Bible will come alive as you see places such as the shepherd's fields, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time not only to visit the site, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today, 423-821-3635, to find out more about our VCY America Prophecy Today Israel trip, March 13th through the 22nd. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here in Temporary Studios, Hudson, Florida, at the Word of Life Conference Grounds. We've been here for the last week teaching God's prophetic word. Had a great time with the people gathered from the area all around as far south as Tampa, as far north as uh, the other cities here in Florida in the central part of the state, and it's just been a great time. God's prophetic word is absolute. It's good to spend time together in studying it. Well, we're going to be leaving here right after the broadcast is over, make my way over to Lake Placid, Florida, the Leisure Lake Baptist Church, where we'll be, and then the next week over in Fruitland before we go back north again. Well, let's get to the man who covers the Middle East for us. We promised we would talk with him. His name is David Dolan. Over 30 years of experience as a journalist in the Middle East. And David, I've got to talk to you about this Trump peace plan. Now, there's been a leak coming out of Washington, D.C. of information about the peace plan. What do you know about it first? And then I'll come back and ask you additional questions. Well, Jimmy, yes, the details appeared on uh, Channel 13, one of Israel's networks this week, that Trump is ready to unveil the plan after the Israeli election in April. It states that uh, 85 to 90 percent, so most of Judea and Samaria, the West Bank, would be handed over to the Palestinians, including parts of Jerusalem, the Arab neighborhoods of Jerusalem, but not the old city and the environs around it. It also said that settlement building would be frozen in most cases, but that the existing Israeli settlements would, for the most part, not be dismantled. They would be annexed to Israel 
And in exchange, the Israelis would give the Palestinian state about uh, 10% of, of land around it for their state. Now, Jimmy, this is very similar, if so, to a plan that uh, Ehud Olmert presented to Yasser Arafat in 2008 when he was prime minister, rejected by the Palestinian Authority. So they would be expected to reject this as well, because, of course, they insist on having all of Jerusalem, and especially, of course, the old city, under their authority. Uh, it would be a non-starter for many Israelis, though, of course, and, and Prime Minister Netanyahu would not be very thrilled to have any part of Jerusalem under PA control. He's always said it will remain united and not ever be divided again. But, Jimmy, this comes as I'm hearing increasing concern in Israel about President Trump, concern that he will be impeached, and that if impeachment proceedings begin after the Mueller report is released, that Israel will be in the same place that it was in 1973, when the Kremlin sponsored an attack upon Israel by Syria and Egypt. You remember that well, the Yom Kippur War. That was in the midst of the Watergate impeachment process when Another Republican president, Richard Nixon, was under fire. He later resigned the following August. So there's a real concern that the chaos in America, the government shutdown, the other things happening, chaos in the U.K. as well, political chaos, that all of this is setting the stage for Vladimir Putin to stir up trouble in the region. And, of course, Iran and, and Syria and others, uh, Hezbollah and Hamas and others that are aligned with him being involved in that. So... That really is their graver concern right now. This peace plan I'm hearing, they don't think it's probably really going to get off the ground. And anyway, the White House has said that some of those reported details uh, that Channel 13 uh, reported are not accurate. So we don't really know what the scope is, but it sounds like the outline of what we would expect. But, Jimmy, I've said it so many times, it's not going to work. The PA will reject it. Many Israelis will reject it, probably the prime minister. So... It's a question of whether it will even get presented. And, of course, if impeachment proceedings do begin, it may just be dropped entirely. Very interesting political developments uh, from Israel's perspective as it relates to the United States. Now, I don't know if that's going to be a mission that will be able to be carried out by the Democrats who have now come back to power in the United States Congress, the House of Representatives. But I do know that's their heartbeat. That's exactly what they want to see happen. And that could put a cringe in this uh, peace plan of President Trump. By the way, uh, not only that, Jerusalem, I, every single prime minister since David Ben-Gurion has said, you're not going to divide Jerusalem. It's the eternal, undivided capital of the Jewish people. So that's really a no-starter for the Israelis, is it not? Well, Jimmy, and definitely it's a non-starter. But even more important to the military in Israel is the fact that this Palestinian state would be in the high ground above Ben-Gurion Airport, above Tel Aviv above all the uh, coastal cities, all the way up nearly to Haifa. So, you know, they just think this is ridiculous at this time. The Palestinians are so divided, Hamas vowing to destroy Israel. And, of course, the situation in the north, in Syria, and around that has them uh, gravely concerned. Uh, we had the statement on Tuesday from the prime minister that 
Iran must get out of Syria. In Hebrew, it's miyad. That means right now, at hand, you've got to get out. And uh, the Iranian Revolutionary Guards chief responded that no way are we leaving. He called it a joke. And he said, you're playing with the, quote, lion's tail, and that, quote, you should be afraid of the day when our precision-guided missiles roar and fall on your head. So talk of war between Iran and Israel increased substantially this week. Very strong statements. The prime minister, for the first time, admitting that Israel has carried out many strikes against Iran's forces. So the military situation overall is very, very, very fluid and very precarious. And to add a Palestinian state on the high ground of Judea and Samaria, you've been there many times. This is the hill country above the plain, the coastal plain, strategically a terrible situation. And, of course, Israeli towns and cities were attacked from there before Israel captured it in 1967 on several occasions. So it's just a non-starter and a lot of confusion, a lot of upheaval in the region, and this is really not adding to any stability. You know, David, often on this broadcast when we're talking, you say this could be a very viable situation where we could go to all-out war. I've never really heard the prime minister be that committed, but when he was talking about Iran and getting rid of them in Syria, he added, I'm going to have to deal with Syria, Hezbollah, and Iran, and I may have to go to all-out war. That is serious when the prime minister says it, isn't it? It is, Jimmy, and of course it's been recognized by him and by his top officials and by the top military brass for some time that We seem to be heading to a major showdown, but it's Iran digging its heels in uh, with the Russian backing, apparently. At least the Russians are not publicly stating that they want to see Syria push Iran out of its country. And meanwhile, as uh, your website posted, we have the DEPCA file in Israel reporting that 10,000 Iraqi Shiite militiamen are positioned on the Syrian border ready to come into Syria at any time, especially if U.S. forces are withdrawn, and that process has begun. So a very, very serious situation on many fronts, and again, more trouble on Friday in the Gaza Strip. Hamas again vowing to destroy Israel. Uh, Hezbollah, we had reports that their leader, Hassan Nasrallah, had a heart attack, that he's very ill, and in response, one of their leaders said, Forget about it. He's fine, and he's about to come to Jerusalem and pray on Al-Aqsa, on the Temple Mount. Uh, In other words, Hezbollah uh, saying they're about to go to war with Israel and retake Jerusalem. Well, they wouldn't say that if Iran wasn't saying it. And the question is, what is Vladimir Putin doing, and what is Donald Trump doing? And it's just a very unclear, murky situation, Jimmy. But the Prime Minister warning the nation, now, as you said, for the first time openly, We may be facing all-out war, a major, major conflict. Get ready. Of course, the IDF has been getting ready for several years now for this. But it is looking, Jimmy, and I don't want to be too grim, but it is looking like this is imminent. Now, it may not be, but the chances of it are very, very strong. You know, we just have to keep our eyes on it, but also our prayers going up, because, of course, Israel could be harmed greatly in such a war, even if, Iran also would be greatly harmed, and Hezbollah and Hamas would probably be destroyed in any such war. And, of course, Syria, will they get involved? And uh, that's another major question. They probably would. They're just a match, Jimmy, but although prayers keep going up. 
And while all this is going on, the Prime Minister running for re-election. Give me the latest update on the re-election process coming up in April. Well, the polls still show his party winning a fourth of the Knesset, around 30, 32 seats. But, Jimmy, yes, there would be a lot of charges that he's just warmongering now because of the election coming up. But I don't believe that. The situation is real. Uh, It's a terrible time to have elections. They would probably be postponed if there is any military action. In fact, I'm sure they would be. And that has happened twice before in Israel's history. Let me just remind everybody that's the reason we bring to these microphones here at the broadcast table David Dolan. At this broadcast table, we talk about What's happening in the Middle East when David gives us his Middle East news update? What you've heard today is key to understanding how the end-time scenario is playing out there in that region of the world. David, thank you so very much for this timely and up-to-date report. We appreciate it so much. We'll talk again next week. God bless you. Be glad to do it. We're going to take a break, and when we come back... I'm going to talk with Itamar Marcus. He heads up Palestinian Media Watch. What's the Palestinian media really is saying about the Temple Mount? Does it belong to the Jews? Have they ever had a building up there, a temple? Whatever. You need to stay tuned to hear the conversation with Itamar Marcus. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung here in Temporary Studios in Hudson, Florida at the Word of Life Conference Grounds. We've been having a great week studying the prophetic Word of God. People from all across Central Florida coming over to study with us here at the conference. Word of Life has a winter conference, of course, in the wintertime when it's cold up north. Why not come to Florida? That's what I say, too. So we're here for ministry. We've been this last week at the Word of Life Conference Grounds in Hudson, Florida. After the broadcast today, we go over to Lake Placid, Florida, to the Leisure Lake Baptist Church. And I, as a young man, used to go around that part of the area. My dad and mom had some property on the lake over there. It's going to be back home for us when Judy and I travel to Lake Placid and the Leisure Lake Baptist Church. We'll be there Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. And then the next week, giving you a bit of information ahead of time, we'll be in Fruitland, Florida at the Calvary Baptist Church. More on that next week. Right now, we're going to continue as promised and bring Itamar Marcus to this broadcast table. Itamar heads up an organization called Palestinian Media Watch. Their web address is palwatch.org. I would suggest you visit that site. You might want to bookmark it 
and sign up for the news alert that Itamar sends out when the Palestinian media is saying something contradictory to what we know as the truth. Itamar, thank you for joining me. So very happy to have you along. We want to do this as often as we possibly can to stay on top of what the Palestinian media has been saying to the public of the world. Now, there was a headline on your latest alert that said, Jews are desecrating Muslim and Christian holy sites, and they continued in Palestine. Now, the first thing, before we get to where they're actually desecrating, the Jews are desecrating holy sites, talk to me about Palestine. Is there a state, and what are the boundaries of it? Can you give me a definition of the state of Palestine? Well, of course, there is no state of Palestine. There is a Palestinian authority which controls the Gaza Strip and certain parts of Judea and Samaria. Israel gave that land over to them in 1993 and 1994 as part of the Oslo Accords in the hope of getting peace. There is no state. Had the Palestinians sought peace and worked for peace, Israel probably would have allowed to create a Palestinian state, but they never did. They, they, they taught their people hatred. They taught their children hatred. They taught them to go and fight. They started terror. They've been continuing terror all these years. And for that reason, they are still a Palestinian authority, even though they like to claim that they are a state, and they repeatedly ask the United Nations to grant them statehood. Uh, they are not a state. They're just an authority. Well, I wanted that definitely known by those eavesdropping on this conversation. That is key to understand no state called Palestine any place in the Middle East. They're wanting that, but that is not the case. And that's a part of what is uh, supposedly the deal, the greatest deal that Donald Trump's ever going to make, uh, the Israeli-Palestinian peace process and his plan. don't know if we'll have time to discuss that. It has not even been published. There are some rumors, but maybe we'll save that for another time. Let's get back to the fact that Jews are desecrating the Muslim and Christian holy sites in so-called Palestine. Talk to me, if you will, Itamar. I understand every time a Jew goes up onto the Temple Mount, they are defiling or desecrating this holy site. It's the holiest site for the Jewish people. I don't think the Jews are desecrating the site, but uh, maybe from a different perspective, from the Palestinian eyes, it looks like they're doing that. Talk to me about that. Yes, it's a racist attitude of the Palestinian Authority that a Jew who walks on the Temple Mount is defiling it, is desecrating it. Because the Palestinians, or I should say Islam, many, many years ago uh, built the Al-Aqsa Mosque on the Temple Mount. And because so since they built the Al-Aqsa Mosque, uh, they want to take away everyone else's right to be there. So if a Jew goes on to the Temple Mount, they are now saying that that defiles it. There was an interesting item once on Palestinian television a few years ago where they were talking about how the Jews defiled Jerusalem, and then it said the following... It's good that it rains a lot in Jerusalem because it washes away the defilement of the Jews. And then you saw a picture of of some Jews walking through the streets of the old city of Jerusalem. Again, I say this is pure racism that the Jews would defile. Now, when you go to Mecca, they extend this not just to Jews, but they extend this to Christians as well. Mecca is, of course, the holiest city in Saudi Arabia uh, for Muslims, and uh, they don't allow Jews or Christians in. In fact, they don't allow a Bible. Uh, in fact, in, in Saudi Arabia, I know it's possibly being allowed now, but for many, many years they wouldn't allow them. And I know when 
American soldiers were going over to actually defend Saudis and to be there and to help them, there was always trouble because they didn't even want them to bring in any kind of religious symbols or any kind of religious books that weren't the Quran and weren't connected to Islam. So there's a lot of that in, in Islam, and the Palestinian Authority has adopted it for its own ideology. You mentioned the Palestinian Authority, and that is what they are claiming to be their state, which technically it is not. But the president of the Palestinian Authority, Mahmoud Abbas, said that when Prime Minister Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, allowed for members of the Knesset to go up onto the Temple Mount, he claims that is a war crime. Now, that's just a bit more than desecration and defilement. And is that going to stand up in any international court that that's a war crime for members of the Israeli Knesset to go up on their most sacred piece of real estate, the Temple Mount? Oh, well, of course, it's not a war crime. The Palestinian Authority likes to presume that they have some kind of jurisdiction over the Temple Mount. They don't have jurisdiction. It's, of course, Israel's jurisdiction. And it's only because of threats of terror by the Palestinian Authority, which people have acted on in the past. There have been many Israelis who have been killed because of these threats of terror that the Palestinian leadership has incited, that Israel limits Jewish presence on the Temple Mount, uh, prohibits Jews from praying on the Temple Mount. Now, the Supreme Court in Israel has already ruled that the police are not allowed to prevent Israelis, Jews, from going to the Temple Mount. They can't prevent them from praying on the Temple Mount unless it's a security concern. And the police, because they're afraid of Palestinian terrorism, don't allow Jews to pray on the Mount. Now, I think that's a tragedy. You're giving in to threats and to terror, but that's what we're dealing with right now. That's how, I would say, how, how outrageous uh, the threats of terror are that are coming from the Palestinian Authority. I've got to talk to you about the Mufti who this last Sunday, and the Mufti of Jerusalem is the highest-ranking Muslim cleric in Israel. He made this statement and denied, in fact, that the Islamic literature, which actually writes about a temple, a Jewish temple on the Temple Mount, I think back in 1924 when that was written, that particular piece of information coming out of the Islamic Trust. So he denies that there's ever been a temple on the Temple Mount. Where's he coming from? Is he just a part of a propaganda machine that's trying to tell the world they have no right onto the Temple Mount? It's even beyond that. The, the Palestinian leadership, as soon as the Palestinian Authority was created in 1993, they told their people and they told the historians that they have to create a history of not just the Temple Mount, but of all of the land of Israel, which they called Palestine, which won't give the Jewish people any rights to anything on the land. Since that day, they have been telling their people, they have been saying this lie over and over again. There never was any Jewish presence in the land at all. Complete erasure of Jewish tradition, complete erasure of Christian tradition, and a complete denial of the tens of thousands of artifacts that have been found, archaeological artifacts that, uh, that show the presence of the Jewish people in the land. Um, of course, they deny Jesus, or the, the, the Jewishness of Jesus, I should say, because they have to erase the Jewish people. So they erase us from the land, and with that, they also deny there was a temple. You know, Itamar, I remember conversations with you a couple of years ago where we talked about 
the Israeli government installing cameras on the Temple Mount to be able to monitor what's actually going on up there. That would answer some of the questions that have come about because of the conflict. I understand now they're considering doing that. What's the latest on that information? Well, the Palestinians very often have threatened terror when Israel has talked about putting up cameras. And I think it's being done, and I think it'll be done quietly, and, and hopefully there won't be any, uh, any terror and hopefully no loss of life. It almost seems like they're, they're looking for excuses to rile up their people to go on terror waves. The, in, in general, and this is a, a very interesting politically, Mahmoud Abbas, who's the head of the Palestinian Authority, is exceedingly unpopular with his people. When I say exceedingly in, unpopular, 80% of Palestinians say his government is corrupt, and 65% want him to resign. So he has no support of the people. And what he does regularly is he incites against Israel, turns Israel. He's trying to distract the, the hatred that people hate him uh, and direct it to Israel. So he blames Israel for its problems. And every once in a while, he also incites terror. Because once there's a terror wave, he becomes uh, the hero. He becomes the leader of the fighting, the leader of the terror, uh, and, and, and the leader of attacking and killing Israelis. So... That's what we deal with. We deal with these uh, terror waves from time to time whenever the Palestinian leadership is in need of propping themselves up. Itamar, thank you so very much for your work helping us to stay abreast of what really is being said in the Palestinian media. It's helpful for us to understand the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and ultimately the prophetic scenario that's found written by the ancient Jewish prophets. Thanks so much, Itamar. We'll talk again real soon. Thank you very much, Jimmy. Well, over this last week, Brexit seemingly fell apart. We're going to focus on that for the next two guests here on Prophecy Today weekend. We're going to take one approach, and we're going to look at it from the European Union perspective. John Rood, our regular broadcast partner, is going to do that in a moment. And then an old-time broadcast partner from years ago will join us, Dr. Rob Congdon, and he's going to take it from the perspective of the United Kingdom. Will they fall apart? What's going to be next for them? And so let's get right underway as we welcome to this broadcast table uh, John Rood, who actually lived in Brussels, Belgium, for a number of years. Brussels is a hometown for you, John. You know the city. You know the activities of it. Let's get your first thoughts as we begin our conversation about what has happened with Brexit, but again, focusing from the European Union perspective. Yes, the EU has essentially done what was ex to be expected, you know, monitoring the European Union 20, 30 years. It's uh, easy to predict some of their likely uh, actions. And so through the form, the European Union has overplayed their hand as usual. Uh, the European Union was basically formed, got the U.K. into the European Union uh, in lieu of a trading partners. But they overplayed their hand by going for a political union. So there today, there's much pressure on the United Kingdom. Over two years ago, of course, they voted to leave. I remember waking up that morning in Switzerland to the news, and they have continued to try to do a agreement, a negotiation, but the European Union has always had the upper position with this. So now we're getting these quotes out of the European Union 
Uh, the European Commission president, uh, Jean-Claude Juncker, is saying, you know, the time is running out. The French president is saying the pressure is all on the United Kingdom. Angela Merkel, Chancellor of Germany, she's, a hard Brexit is going to be the worst of all the options. And so they have the position of the upper hand, but they're overplaying the hand, which is so typical. It's going to create problems, particularly for the upcoming parliamentary elections. Really, Brexit could be the European Union's least worry in comparison that the whole union begins to fall apart with the rise of parties that will want to leave. You've mentioned some of the nations and some of the leaders of the European Union in your context of looking at the Brexit disaster, some are saying, uh, because of the failure by the United Kingdom to vote in a plan of some type to be presented to the European Union. Meanwhile, the head of the council, Donald Tusk, he is the man who is the leader of the 28 member states, still 28 members with the United Kingdom still a part of the EU. Donald Tusk is saying, hey, wait a minute, why don't you people just stay in the European Union? Is there any possibility uh, that the European Union as a whole is going to allow that to happen? Are they so upset with what's been going on, they just rather get rid of the U.K.? These are very important issues that you're uh, raising up, Jimmy. The European Council President, Donald Tusk, has basically come out to say the deal seems to be impossible Nobody wants to have a no deal. So then the best thing is just that Britain stays in the European Union. This is very problematic. Uh, this makes democracy the central issue. And the United Kingdom, you know, needs to show respect for the democratic referendum. Now we have this possibility of even a second referendum, which would be, uh, this is interesting to note, it wouldn't necessarily be do we want the European Union in or out, it wouldn't be the same Article 50 referendum. It most likely would be, do we accept or not accept the EU deal that's been presented? And so there's a, enormous pressure here. Speaking of the leaders as well, it's the Prime Minister of Ireland. You know, he has come out in a quote saying, we are not going to allow a physical border infrastructure to reappear. Well, if that's the case, that's a synonymous with saying, essentially, we will not let the United Kingdom leave. And so if the deal and the side of the European Union before all this even began was we're not going to let them leave in terms of the border of Ireland, then how are you supposed to leave? It's very problematic, and we're going to see some really troubled times ahead through how this is all going to pan out. Let me ask you a quick and a quick answer, if you will, John. I know you're not the prophet nor son of the prophet. How do you think it's going to happen here? Will the United Kingdom be able to withdraw and the European Union go on, or will they have to stay in the EU? I believe ultimately there will be a separation. There could be a transition period with the border, with the Irish border, which is the biggest point of contention right now. I think actually looking above that this is a type of tipping point now where we've had 50 to 60 years of European integration, and we do know eventually we will have 10 nations. And so we have a uh, transition period of dis disintegration of Europe. Uh, this is the beginning of, and it's, uh, it's likely that 
the United Kingdom as a major power was the first one to take this step. But then again, we see now the political shift that's upon us, and there will be other countries that will have the same process. Europe, just the EU just doesn't want to make this look like an easy thing. But notice, if the no deal is the deal, then other countries can easily perceive we can have a no deal. That's the easiest outcome. And so, as we said before, the EU is in an existential crisis. What will happen will be a political core of nations. It will be get in or get out of the political core. And that's something that would lead to 10 nations much faster. And John Rood and Jimmy DeYoung talk about political activities in the European Union, the continent of Europe, for the purpose of setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Politics, then prophecy. John, thank you for your report. We'll talk again real soon. Thank you again, Jimmy. It's very important that we see what's coming ahead in this prophetic scenario. Very interesting comments coming from John Rood. He lived in Brussels, Belgium, as I mentioned, a number of years, and we were looking at the Brexit vote, seemingly a disaster as it relates to Great Britain, however, but in the European Union, maybe not so much so a disaster. John was giving us his take from the perspective of the European Union. But right now, we want to go to a long-time broadcast partner with us, hasn't been on with us for a couple of years now, Dr. Rob Congdon. We were reading his newsletter that he sends out. And by the way, Rob, I want you to give the address as to how people can subscribe to your newsletter. But he brought up some very interesting thoughts. And I said, hey, we have John Rood, who covers the European Union for us, but how about Dr. Rob Congdon coming on again for a guest appearance and talking about the United Kingdom and as it relates to Brexit, what's going on. So first of all, give the address for people to uh, get a hold of you there at your website and how they can get on your newsletter subscription list. First, it's good to be with you again, Jimmy. They can go to my website, which is org. That's C-O-N-G. D-O-N ministries.org. And there you can sign up for my free email newsletter that I put out and covers current events and other Bible teaching areas that are of interest to Christians. Rob, I have so many questions I would love to ask you. We just going to have to try to pack it into a couple of minutes if we can. Overall, when you were watching this thing take place there in Great Britain, the vote on Brexit, and twice it went down in the Parliament, Theresa May's ideas failing to be passed by the Parliament, both times she's been able to be victorious in a vote of non-confidence. But from an overall perspective, give me your thoughts. Just open up and start thinking out loud with me what you think about what's happening as it relates to Brexit. Well, Brexit is a significant event in the history of Britain. Uh, If you think of the United Kingdom that once ruled a major part of this earth, and today it's down struggling, in my view, for its very existence as anything but a minor country of uh, the world in terms of the Western world. Brexit was their goal to try to regain democracy and sovereignty for the nation of Britain. What most Americans don't realize is that the EU is not like our government where you vote for your leaders and you really have a say in your voice. The 
policy-making body of the EU, the European Commission, is appointed, and the bureaucrats run all the countries under the EU. When the British people voted 52 to 48 percent for Brexit, they wanted a complete break with the European Union so that they could regain, from their viewpoint, sovereignty and their democracy, where they have a say in the system. Many people said it was immigration was the issue. That was the symptom, because the people suddenly realized they weren't in control of their own country. What happened, though, is from the date of voting for Brexit to this date, you've had a government in Britain, it doesn't matter who the leaders are, basically all but a few of them really want to stay in the EU. And they didn't want to proceed uh, with Brexit, but they were forced to by the people of Britain and their vote. And so what we've watched is a ongoing, really, mess of how to mess up the whole procedures. And now we've come down to the wire. May, and I use the expression uh, May Day calling, Britain's in trouble. The bottom line is the EU has the control of them, over them, and if Britain makes a total break, that really is their only hope to sort of regain their nationality. And that's a possibility. It still is a possibility. But anything else, any other negotiations going to keep them for all purposes still under the fundamental law of the EU, and they won't have that sovereignty that they desired. So they're at a crucial point as far as where Britain goes, and it's a point you and I have mentioned I think is biblically where I thought they would be headed. Yeah, absolutely. And often in those former conversations, you would always say, I believe they're going to have to go to a second referendum. That first referendum voted the United Kingdom out of the European Union, but you always said, I don't think that's going to be the final story. They'll go to a second referendum. That's what you're thinking today as well? I'm still thinking one of two options. The one is that the Brits will finally force the government, their own government, into a second referendum. That means they have to delay the Brexit from March until a much later date because a referendum would require about 15 months for them to pull it together to run the, the referendum vote. The bottom line, the EU has to show that it is so entangled into the daily British life that Britain can't leave. And so the people are going to start realizing, I think they've come to this realization, they're either going to vote a second referendum or they're going to just basically keep bungling, in my opinion, and the final compromise will be Britain will have no real say in the European Union's government, but it will be under all the power of the EU. Well, can Great Britain recover from this? I mean, can they stay in or can they go out? Do they have a choice or is it just either way they're going to fail? I think the answer is, Either way, they're going to fail. Britain has been on a course for the last 100 years. In fact, it's, to me, it's terribly significant. It was 100 years ago that World War I ended. The British, as a whole, believe that you know God must have turned his back on Britain because they were the British Empire, and they were, in many ways, the chosen people in their mind. And so they started thinking, well, God isn't there. So they turned their back on him. They then turned their back on Israel. And so by 1947, the empire started totally collapsing and disappearing, and now they've lost their power. They're not the influence they used to be, and it's obviously, from our standpoint, they've turned away from God. And the EU will continue in some form, 
because I really believe it's the embryo of that final world empire before Christ returns. Therefore, I, I think Britain is past the point of really succeeding in any way in this. It, it's just a, a, a sad demise of what once was quite a nation. I don't see that they have a solution. If they make a deal, it'll be, in essence, a, a no deal. It'll mean that they won't be really out of the EU, except they won't vote about anything. If they let Brexit occur and they're out, they will be punished economically by the European Union. You can be sure of that. They will find it rough going from that point on. Their only hope is to appeal to countries that are still strong for nationalism instead of globalism. And the reality is at the moment, our own country is struggling over that very issue. And that's almost at the heart of much of what's happening today. So I, I think it's very bleak future for Brit. We believe you and I say it's the embryo of the European Union for the revived Roman Empire. Whatever happens with this Brexit catastrophe, that's still a case as we look ahead. Would you agree? Yes, uh, exactly. Just as we look ahead, that's exactly what it is. So God's word is going to be fulfilled. Political activities, of course, all across the entire world, but in particular, they're in the European Union setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Well, it was great to have another conversation with you, Rob. I've missed our times together. Maybe we'll do it down the line along the way. You can come in and comment on some very important issues. Thank you so much, my good friend. Have a great weekend. We'll talk again maybe sometime down the line. Well, I've enjoyed chatting with you and being with your listeners again. May the Lord bless you, and yes, I'd look forward to some other special times. Thank you, Rob. Hey, we're going to take a break right now. When we come back, we have one more interview. David James is standing by. We're going to be talking about the gospel. What is the gospel? How do you relay and communicate the gospel to other people? And do you change your approach in other parts of the world? That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We're moving now into our last half hour. I've got another interview. David James is standing by. You know, he travels all over the world. I want to discuss with him the issue of soul winning. What must be done for someone to come to know Christ as Lord and Savior? Well, first of all, they need to understand that they are a sinner and in need of a Savior. When I came to know Christ as Lord and Savior, that was what I was told by my Sunday school teacher who led me to the Lord. I was going to hell if I did not receive Christ as Lord and Savior. And I then, taking advice because of the negative, decided on the positive and received Christ as Lord and Savior. Well, I'll talk with David James. We'll have a discussion. You need to hear it. It's key for what you want to do as it relates to winning loved ones and friends to Jesus Christ. That's upcoming in a moment here on this third half hour. Ask for 90 minutes. This is the third part of that 90 minutes, the last third. And we'll have that interview with David, and then I'll take a look at the book before we conclude. May I ask you to go to my website a bit later on and fill out the answer to the poll question. Here it is with the leaked details that we know about the Trump peace plan. Do you think that President Trump will put his peace plan into play anyway when the Israelis do not think it is a good plan? 
That's the poll question. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Scroll down on the left-hand column. You'll find the poll question. Love to know what you're thinking about. Then be sure to go to my website to find out about the tours. I think we have five or six tours upcoming this year. We'd love to have you come join us as we go to Israel and the lands of the Bible, including Turkey, a possibility, and on to Rome, if you would like to go there with us as well. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. We now bring to these microphones David James, and today for the second week in a row, we connect with David in the Philippines. David, how's the ministry going out there? Well, I'm having a great time. I, I don't know about the students, but I'm having a great time. It's a great opportunity that I, I've had every year for for many years now. Please give our greetings to the guys in the Philippines. I know a, a bunch of them from past years and experience in ministry together. Before we get into our main topic, however, for this week, Dave, I want to let our listeners know about a brand new feature that you're adding to the Alliance for Biblical Integrity website. I'm excited about it. Tell everybody else about it. Sure. Thanks for the plug on this. First of all, this is a set of book reviews by Dr. Gary Gilley. Uh, Gary Gilley is a pastor of Southern View Chapel in Springfield, Illinois. And in fact, he actually directed the Brian call to my first article on the Harbinger way back in 2012. And humanly speaking, uh, was responsible for getting the whole thing started to get my first book published. And he's a brilliant guy, a great theologian, has a, an apologetics and discernment a website ministry as well. He reads one book every week or two and has done this for years, and he writes reviews on many of them. So on his website, Think on These Things, he has over 600 book reviews, and he's given me permission to put all of his book reviews on the Alliance for Biblical Integrity website. So uh, our listeners can go to biblicalintegrity.org and click on articles and reviews. In fact, he's the first one that comes up on the banner, or you can click down on the uh, large icon on the lower right side of the Biblical Integrity, uh, the Alliance for Biblical Integrity website. Boy, that is great, great information, Dave. And in fact, I will use that myself because, you know, there's so many books out there that have been written. It'd be good to have a godly biblical man who can tell us, well, I've read this, here's what I see in the book, and you can either then take it under advisement to read it or throw it away, forget about it, and not waste your time. That is great for the Biblical Integrity website, the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. Well, a couple of days ago, I sent you an article, Dave, that had the title, Evangelism Must Explain What's Wrong with the World. I thought that we could use this as a sort of a launch pad for our discussion today, since you see a lot of people around this world and a lot of that world. That's true, and I travel to eight to ten uh, countries every year, and uh, I see a lot of things in those countries. In fact, I, if I step outside the gate here at Word of Life in the Philippines, I'm immediately immersed in a, a deeply third-world country with a lot of poverty that is steeped in Catholicism in many uh, in most cases, and uh, needs to be reached with the gospel. Our listeners may not be aware of this, uh, the magnitude of the task that we have, but uh, I went to a website and doing the research, there are 
over 134 million births per year, and 55 million people die each year. All of those need to hear the gospel when they come into the world or uh, before they leave the world, and to bring that down into practical terms that people can get their minds around. Just during the time of our 13-minute conversation, there are going to be over 3,200 births in the world. Every single one of those need to hear the gospel. And during that same time, over almost 1,400 people will go into eternity, and they need to hear the gospel. So this is a very important topic and something that's uh, close to both of our hearts. It certainly is, and that's very important information you've just given us. One of the main points of the article, as I read it, was that ultimately sin is what's wrong with the world, and that evangelism must address this universal problem. Now, how important do you think it is, David, to talk about sin when you're presenting the gospel? I think it's extremely important, and I think that even in evangelical circles, we have gotten away from discussing this. You know, salvation is a package deal that has many aspects to it. It has two fundamental components, and those two components would be forgiven sin and eternal life. Christ died for our sins, and it's through his death that our sins can be forgiven. He paid the penalty for our sins, and then he rose from the grave unto eternal life. And so we need to be talking about those. You know, we're we're not just saved to something. We're not saved just to eternal life. We're saved from something, and there are consequences of sin. And uh, we can't talk about the consequences of sin, which is an eternity separated from God in hell, unless we talk about the, the need for that forgiveness of sin, and that is our sinful nature, our sinful condition, and the sins that we commit against a holy God as a result of that. So it's, it's extremely important, otherwise there's nothing to be saved from. You know, as you travel, and boy, you do a lot of it. You do a lot more than I do nowadays. And we pray for you often. Hope everybody listening will pray for you as you do travel for your safety. But do you find differences in how the gospel needs to be presented in different countries and or cultures? Well, of course, the the content of the gospel itself it never changes, and it hasn't. It has never changed. The content of the gospel is centered around the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But there does need to be some contextualization, and what that means—that's a term that we that is used in missions. Contextualization of the gospel that means presenting the gospel in ways that are culturally relevant. And so there are things, for example, it's and it's not just a matter of being culturally relevant in different cultures around the world, even in our own country, we're in a changing environment. So a few years ago, there was an article about how sharing the gospel in our secular age is different. So we have to take into account what people know, help them unlearn some of the bad things that they may have learned in a religion that they were brought up in, 
There may be even illustrations in different cultures that work in one culture but don't work in another. So we need to explain the gospel in ways that are culturally relevant and fit into that culture. And here in Asia, where there is no background in many countries uh, concerning Jesus Christ. People don't even know the name of Jesus Christ. We have to start at a different point and not take things for granted that we might take for granted or might have taken for granted in the United States even 50 years ago. The director of Word of Life here in uh, the Pacific Rim has developed a means of presenting the gospel called the Gospel Story Arc for example, uh, where he actually uh, starts back in the Garden of Eden and tells what happened in the Garden, the fall of uh, Adam and Eve, and how we inherited that sin nature, and goes through a very clear explanation of the gospel and, and putting the whole gospel in the context of history, as well as how we came to have this need and why the gospel needs to be presented and people need to take it seriously. I've seen that presentation of the gospel before, starting there in the Garden of Eden. I think that's very effective. Go back to the beginning, and let's show uh, the need for salvation, but how it all came about as well. David, in all of your travels, I'm sure that you've been in a lot of evangelistic meetings over the years and church services where an invitation was given for salvation. Do you have any advice concerning sharing the gospel? Maybe a couple of things that we should or we should not do, and whether it's one-on-one or in a meeting with a lot of people there. I think there are a few things that I've noticed over the years that are more and more frequently left out of gospel presentations. The first is concerning Jesus' identity. Many gospel presentations will say that Jesus is the Son of God, but the Son of God, the term Son of God means a lot of different things to different people, and I think we need to clarify that his identity is that he is the eternal Son of God, but we also need to say that he is God himself who became a man. And if we don't know who Jesus is, then there's no particular reason for us to trust him any more than any other religious leader. Building on that is the resurrection. The resurrection is frequently left out of gospel presentations. And the fact is, if he only died for our sins but didn't arise from the grave, we would simply spend eternity as dead, forgiven sinners. But we have the hope of eternal life. Like I said earlier, salvation is a package deal for given sin and eternal life. And then I would say the third thing is we need to talk about the eternal consequences of rejecting the gospel, and that is an eternity separated from God in hell, ultimately in the lake of fire. That's a great, great presentation and reminder of how we ought to go about trying to win somebody to Jesus Christ. Well, as we wrap it up for this week, Dave, maybe you could briefly share the gospel with our listeners. Because, you know, there may be someone out there who's listening who needs to know how they can have their sins forgiven and be saved from an eternity in hell. Share that with us, please. Sure. In my seminar, The Gospel Under Siege, uh, one of the things that I have is how to actually present the gospel in 25 seconds. So in under half a minute, you can share the gospel, and this is what I tell my students and people around the world about sharing the gospel. And I'll just, uh, I'll just read what, I, what they'll see on the screen whenever they're in that presentation. 
All have sinned and stand condemned before God, and so deserve death and hell as a result. Because of his love, God became a man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on a cross in our place, shedding his blood for our sins and taking the punishment we deserve. And then he, Christ arose from the grave on the third day in victory over death, and God grants forgiveness of sin and he gives eternal life as a free gift of his grace to all who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. Wow, that's great. That is great. And by the way, if you want to re-listen to that, go to our website, prophecytoday.com, and there you can re-listen if you would like to understand better how you can come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior. May I just suggest, if you do follow David's instructions as to how to get saved, give us a call here at Prophecy Today. Our phone number is 423-825-6247. We'd love to hear from you and maybe pass along some follow-up materials to understand what has happened in your life. David, thank you for this discussion. I think it was key for us all to understand how to properly give the gospel and make certain that we get out to the world and do that before the shout for the rapture does take place. Thank you so much, good friend, and uh, have another great week. We'll talk to you again next week with another issue to discuss. Thanks so much, Jimmy. I appreciate the opportunity, and I look forward to talking with you next week, Lord willing. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'll take the Bible, open it up, we'll take a look at the book, and bring all the issues we've discussed on the broadcast today together under the prophetic scenario that's found in God's Word. That's all ahead, right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Have you ever wanted to visit Israel and travel the footsteps of Jesus? Hi, I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr., and along with VCY, I'm excited to announce our upcoming trip, March 13th through the 22nd. Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. We are going to take a look at Israel past, present, and future. The Bible will come alive as you see places such as the shepherd's fields where our Lord was born. You will even experience an exciting ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time not only to visit the site, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today, 423-821-3635 to find out more about our VCY and Prophecy Today Israel trip March 13 through 22. 
It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. Throughout the last hour and almost a half now, we have been talking with our broadcast partners around the world, getting reports from them on current events that are unfolding where they're located for us to have a better understanding of how these current events are actually setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. We have an outstanding group of broadcast partners. Hope you were able to listen to what they had to say. Their reports are essential for helping us to see where we are in God's time as well. By the way, if you had to miss any of my conversations, you can go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. And there you'll be able to listen to any and or all of my broadcast partners and their reports to us, the details behind the current events, looking at these details in light of biblical prophecy. Again, that location, go to the website, prophecytoday.com, go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, there, all these interviews with my broadcast partners will be on display. You can listen to any and all. And why don't you tell a friend they need to hear this report from these guys around the world. You're going to be able to hear this time the latest situation on Brexit. You know what that is? If you don't, keep the dial right where it is because John Rood and Rob Congdon are going to tell you about the catastrophic events as it relates to Brexit. Ultimately, it's the withdrawal of the United Kingdom from the European Union. John Rood, who lived in Brussels, Belgium, headquarters for the European Union, will take responsibility from the European Union perspective the effects of Brexit the United Kingdom trying to withdraw from the European Union. And then one of our longtime broadcast partners from several years ago, Dr. Rob Congdon. Well, he lived in England, and he's going to take the side of the United Kingdom to help us understand about Brexit. Is it a catastrophe? After the broadcast is over, you can re-listen to the program, or later on if you have to, you'll be able to go over to my website, prophecytoday.com, go to PTRN, you'll be able to pick up each and every one of those interviews. Now, let me rehearse what I said with my broadcast partners and what they reported to us, because I want to give you a prophetic perspective on the news today. We brought to this broadcast table Ken Timmerman. He's an international journalist. He's a world traveler. He has great information and details about current events happening, geopolitical events in this world today. Uh, for example, we talked about Israel getting ready for an all-out war to stop Hezbollah, to stop Turkey, Syria, and Iran. They're all at Israel's northern border. They're getting ready to come into the Golan Heights. They ultimately would like to destroy the Jewish state of Israel. Ken gave us the latest information on how this is developing. He brought to our attention Iran is not going to move. They're going to stay right there at Israel's northern border. And if indeed Israel wants any of them, they'll have to come across the border, come into Syria, and try to take them out. 
Well, that's what Prime Minister Netanyahu is talking about. And may I tell you, pre-written history found over in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38, where Persia, modern-day Iran, is mentioned there in Ezekiel 38 and verse 5. They are a major player in the alignment of nations that will come against the Jewish state of Israel. Another passage of scripture that helps us to identify who Russia is, the king out of the north who will form and lead this coalition of nations trying to destroy the Jewish state, are talked about there in the book of Daniel chapter 11 starting in verse 45. Now the prophetic perspective on Ken's report is Iran is a player, Israel is a player, they will come to a battle, and the prime minister says we're ready to go to all-out war if we need to to shut down Iran. I talked with David Dolan. David Dolan, longtime journalist in the Middle East, and what we talked about is President Trump's peace plan. It's been leaked, it seems, from the White House, and it's not going to be good. In fact, it's probably a non-starter as far as the Israelis are concerned. Trump's peace plan, which he had already said is going to cause a little harm, a grief, as far as both sides are concerned, but I think that he has put a non-starter in place, and that is the division of the city of Jerusalem. From the very first prime minister of Israel, David Ben-Gurion, he said that Jerusalem is the undivided, eternal capital of the Jewish people. They're not going to divide Jerusalem, not to allow it to be the capital of a Palestinian state. And on the other side of that coin, the Palestinians are saying they do not want to deal with President Trump because of his decision on Jerusalem. Well, what about a peace plan? The Bible in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27 said there will be a worldwide leader, a personality known as the Antichrist. He will come on the scene. He will confirm a peace agreement. By the way, there are already three peace agreements on the table. Camp David Accord, peace treaty between Israel and Egypt. They also have the Oslo Accords, peace treaty between Israel and the Palestinian people, and a peace treaty with the Jordanian people. These are on the table, not working, never have been able to get off the table and make it happen and the Antichrist will come and confirm these peace treaties. Well, that's some of the news that we're getting about the activities on the worldwide scene. And if you take a prophetic perspective of those current events, you'll see it was a part of a prophetic scenario that was written by the ancient Jewish prophets some 2,500 years ago. These guys actually pre-wrote history. We report on what's going on. Then I give the analysis using the prophetic word of God that these ancient Jewish prophets wrote and help us to see where we are in God's time and his time for the end times. Well, God's word is absolute. These prophecies will be fulfilled. And we'll be standing here at this microphone until the next event happens as we report how the stage is being set for all of Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Oh, that next event? That's the rapture of the church. And according to our study here, a look at the book on prophecy today, that rapture could actually happen at any moment. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until...
Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Thank you.